report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Iron Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. And we're actually like back on a normal schedule now. We're not dealing with like random shows during the summer. So we actually have a guest again. Bethany, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be back on. How are you? Um, man, I have been loving Andor, and I'm excited to talk about it. But yeah, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing great. We're excited to have you back on. It's actually behind the scenes. It's actually been a while since we've recorded um, our the well. We put out a few episodes last week. Those are actually recorded about a month ago. So we're uh, we're actually back now. Uh, so we're catching up on some old news and uh, yeah, excited to discuss Andor now that the show has premiered. Um, and actually, I think before we go into the into the review. Bethany, I just want to get your thoughts high level on on Andor since since you're you haven't had a chance to talk about it yet. But before we do that, real quick, we got a couple couple pieces of announcements. Um, as I mentioned, uh, some of these are a bit older since the last time we recorded, but uh, of course we had D twenty three and there was a big Lucasfilm and Marvel panel. And the Lucasfilm side of things, we got a date for the Bad Batch. It's now January fourth with a two episode premiere. I for one, I'm very excited. They're not going to be I mean, there's a rumor they're going to do like end of September, and I'm glad they're not releasing these at the same time as Andor, so that's fantastic. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and like we'll probably have a little bit of overlap between Bad Batch and Mandalorian unless they push back Mandalorian. I think that's supposed to be like February or March, but I'm excited about that. Uh, we also got a date for Tales of the Jedi coming October 26th. They're going to drop all six shorts at the same time, and of course. For those of you at Celebration, you know how awesome that first short was. Uh, it was hey, really hey, cool. Hey. <laughs> sorry, oh, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah, oh, be- yeah, sorry, Stephen. Uh, I think that was just basically that, like, for all of us here in this call, except for Stephen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's- I didn't say it. That's why you should have gone to Celebration, Stephen. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, people in the room got a brief teaser for Skeleton Crew and on the Young Jedi Adventures side of things, uh, we got our first preview of the art style and a casting announcement. Uh, Jamal Avery Jr. and Emma Berman will star as Kai Brightstar and Nash Durango, respectively. So and it's really cute. It's very, uh, really cutesy art style. I think it'll be a great series for younger kids. Any, any thoughts on all the D23 news? I just ran, ran through a bunch there. We've got a lot to talk about. But any, anything you're particularly excited about? I'm interested to see what Skeleton Crew is going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really no details that were released other than it's just going to have, um, oh, God, I forgot the actor's name. Um, and I can see his face, too. But that's the only thing that we got out of it was, yeah. and it's going to be shooting soon. So, and it's going to come to me in the middle of the episode who the actor was. <laughs> exactly. I can't, I, you're right. I, it's just like, blurt it out when that happens. Exactly. Yeah, well, you can just, you'll edit it in post, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. Uh, speaking of, of release dates though, and, and filming, um, Andor season two is, is now filming 
um, and it'll be running through November. Uh, so while well, season one just dropped, season two is on the way. So I'm excited about that. We get another 12 episodes as previously announced. Rogue Squadron is no longer on the Disney movie re- theatrical release date calendar. That's not too surprising since they said they were having some scheduling issues, but it's still a bit of a bummer. Still a boo. Yeah, I know. By the way, it's Jude Law. Jude Law. There you go. Thank you, there Tom. You, you, yeah. you did I it. Did, I, did, I, did, I didn't want to scream out in the middle of the episode. I didn't want to interrupt, but it's like, you know what? It's Jude Law. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Some other. Uh, and, of course, we have an update on the Kotar remake. It's being moved to Saber Interactive. So I'm glad they are continuing work on the Kotar remake. Saber is... I think we've talked about this in the past, but Saber's known for doing a lot of um, maps and other like support work for uh, Halo and other games. So hopefully they'll be equipped to make this game maybe better um, than uh, they they could have on their you know. With the, I think they really needed Saber Interactive's help, especially given all of the the struggles that have uh, that have just been happening at. Um, aspired media so yeah that's that's all the all the big updates oh and of course obi-wan kenobi a jedi's return documentary is out as well fantastic highly recommend it go see it i go yeah. see it i mean hey just go to disney plus and watch it. it's really good it is it is um let's see i guess one more thing before we jump into andor because we've got like i said we got a lot we're catching up on um we the episode guide for the first three episodes of Andor on StarWars.com, they actually uh, clarified the, the the flashback timeline. I know we had discussed previously, we theorized that it was probably set during the Clone Wars because of roughly how old Cassian Andor would have been. Uh, but per the episode guide, these flashbacks act- actually occur prior to the start of the Clone Wars. Uh, the Republic frigate... Uh, that kind of interrupted their salvaging operation. Um, uh, what, that was the Republic, but the 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 crewers aboard that transport were actually related to the Separatist Alliance. And I I thought that I I couldn't quite make out the patches on their on their suits, but they're Separatist scientists. So interesting. Yeah, very very interesting. So just a little correction there, and with that. Tom, you want to get into the episode? Actually, before we get to the episode rundown, Bethany, what have your thoughts been on the first three episodes of Andor so far? Ooh, so, I mean, it, partly based on my background, and I think partly due to the storytelling, there's just something about Andor that has captured me more than I think any of the other television series so far. Uh, since the Clone Wars. Like, there's just something about Cassian's character specifically that just makes this series feel so real. Uh, so, like, you can really empathize with the characters. Uh, you can get into the mindset of the characters. Uh, so that's something I've really liked about it. it. It feels as though you truly are transported into this universe and there's no questioning the reality of what's happening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've just really loved that about this show. Uh, and while it's, it is dark, yes, there is an element of hope that's there. So I've, I've seen some critiques of people saying like, oh, like, you know, I miss Star Wars 
like being lighthearted and fun and and quips and jokes and lightsaber battles where you're not terrified that people are going to die or get tortured. But while Andor definitely has a dark tone, I don't think it's a nihilistic tone. And and that matters to me. I I, I think it it's drawing a good line and I'm enjoying it because it still has the total Star Wars feel. But I'm really appreciating the world building it's doing right now. And and I there is hope, but I I agree with you, Bethany. I really am enjoying the way this is, and I can't wait to get into this episode. Um because there is a lot of things that happen here. It, it it's definitely building into the next three episodes that we're gonna see in Andor. Because in this rundown, we're gonna be reviewing tonight Andor episode four called Aldani. It is directed by Susanna White and written by Dan Gilroy. And in the show, the synopsis is, out of options, Cassian is recruited for a dangerous mission to infiltrate an Imperial garrison. So we we are seeing in this, I mean, there's a bunch of new characters that are introduced in this. And, and we get a couple that will kind of bridge from the first three episodes into this. Naturally, one of them is going to be Cassian Andor. But, you know, William... How did you like this episode? This I I I think this this episode was fantastic, and, I, and what's really interesting is it the first three we talked about this in our review felt kind of like a, a, a an end to end story that's maybe just the it's like the first you know portion of a movie it's just getting started they're just laying the groundwork but it did feel like a complete story in many ways. Mm-hmm. This episode in episode four they start to really broaden out the uh the scope of the story we are introduced to a lot of new characters or introduced to these you know this this rebel cell or introduced to on 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 aldani we're introduced to mon mothman and everything she's doing dealing with we're introduced to the uh the imperial security bureau and all the politics and infighting there it it expands the show so much from what we've had just in the first three episodes and uh so yeah, I, I I really loved it. I'm excited to dive in and discuss all of this more. How about you, Stephen? Yeah, I mean, I think you really hit the nail on the head. Like with the first three episodes were kind of the first arc, and we actually talked about how um, especially the second episode really dragged a little bit, was a little bit slow, but it's a lot of setup. And I felt like episode four was similar. Um, I definitely enjoyed it, but it very much feels like okay, we're into the next arc of the show, the next phase of the story, and we are laying the groundwork for what's going to come. Um, in, I don't want to say it was a boring episode because it wasn't boring, but there's not a lot that happens. Um, it's a lot of foundational work that I think is going to come in, you know, pay off in five and six or you know, however long the story takes to go. But I don't know. How did you feel about it, Bethany? So I really enjoyed this episode in part because all of the building that was taking place, you know, you hear so many mentions of different aspects of rebelling factions. Uh, and it's pretty clear that the rebellion as a whole very much hasn't come together. You know, and when Cassian and Luthen talk about it, uh, they say it's all the same, uh, which is true from a certain point of view. Uh, but it's also clear that those factions haven't come together yet, but that they're building. Like you can see that the building, the risk taking, feelings are running higher. Uh, different elements of the empire, like specific imperial characters in the episode, are becoming suspicious of some of the 
uh, imperial activity. And as much as we, no one likes Cyril at all, he was actually kind of right to be a bit overly suspicious and paranoid mm-hmm. because there is there is fomenting going on. There is rebelling going on, even if it's pretty darn quiet right now. Uh, and that's just fascinating to me to see, like all the mentions in A New Hope of like, you know, who were the Bothan spies, um, Mon Motha Ma being a character, the uh, uh, was it was it the the delegation of the. 500 i think that yeah Amidala. yeah so all of those aspects i am just sitting on the edge of my seat so excited to learn more about uh like go rebellion beat the empire i am here for it <laughs> yes uh, let's let's i guess let's let's start with that that piece it was so cool to see mon mothma and more of the origins of the rebellion we we find out that Luthen kind of is living this double life, right? On the one hand, he's with Cassian, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But on the other hand, he's going to Coruscant and putting on a disguise and meeting with Mon Mothma covertly and uh, and working with the rebellion. Can I just say I I love that scene on the ship where he's putting he's putting the rings on, he's putting on his wig totally for the agree. hair. And he's got that yes. a perfect moment where he does this little like ha, chuckle, like, <laughs> and you can just see him building this character. Of, like, no, I am no longer the hard bitten rebel spy. I am now the carefree museum curator who is happy to connect with wealthy clients and part them from their money. Like, mm-hmm. just fan. I'm. Uh, st- is it Stellan Skarsgård? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just amazing job on his part, like walking the line between those two uh, personas. He he is, may be one of my favorite characters on this show, and that's something because I love Cassian as well. Uh, and it's, like, it's such a great cast, but yeah, oh, Luthen Rail is is fantastic, uh, and and also getting to see Mon Mothma and how she's feeling the the walk the the walls almost trying to close in on her. Right, she's. She's trying to, uh, you know, she's doing the best she can to help fund the rebellion. And, uh, but like her drivers are being replaced everywhere she goes. There's new people that she doesn't know before. And she's pretty sure they're Imperial spies. Like I cannot wait. That's probably the most exciting plot point for me in the show so far is just seeing how she deals with all of this. I just, I love early rebellion stories so much. Like it to me, it harkens back a lot to like the original Thrawn trilogy, where you had like Mon Mothma, Garmbel Iblis, and Bail Organa as like the three pieces of the rebellion. They don't always necessarily agree with each other, and like uh-huh. the sequence of Luthen and uh, Mon Mothma discussing where uh, you know what's going on, how they're trying to work together, but they don't quite trust each other fully. Um, or they, I should say, they do trust each other fully, but they're concerned about what the other will, is, can bring to the table. Well, um, she does bring up a point that she wants, she does bring up a point she wants to bring in a third person. She did say that. So who that third person is going to be will be interesting. And will that one way or another shake the trust of um, Skarsgård character mm-hmm. or Mamathma? Who knows? Do do we have any thoughts on who the third person might be? Like who she's looking to bring into their circle of trust? I am hoping it's going to be Bale. 
Because this I was series, thinking it probably would be. Yeah, because this series My, is so set up to bring him in and, and to introduce him at this point. The only thing with Bale, though, is he and Mon Mothma, I feel like, would have been an ally long before this point. It feels a little odd to me that he's not already plugged in when we're already this far along. But if you look at it from the point of view of if Skarsgård's character doesn't know it at this point, he could already be an ally to Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. Maybe just not in yeah. there. They're that group of three. They're, I don't yeah, know. bringing the various cells together. Bethany, what what do you think? You you look like you have a <laughs> something to add. I uh, am trying to keep this kitty from crawling oh. all over the laptop <laughs> right now. Uh, but yeah, I I mean I think it makes sense to me from the perspective of plausible deni- deniability that Bale and Mon Mothma even if they were 100% on the same page in terms of what to do, eh, that they would have some separate efforts going along, especially given the level of paranoia that Mon Mothma is exhibiting, paranoia that seems to be very well-deserved. Like, can you imagine your daily life? You just have this feeling that everyone around you is watching you. And even Perrin is like, oh, there's rumors that you got a gift for me. And, and it spread that quickly. Like she mm. was riding straight back home is what it seemed like. And in that one ride, rumors had already spread to him. And he's not, he doesn't seem like someone who's a high up powerful person. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- it makes sense from the perspective of if they're trying to keep uh, their efforts a little bit separate to a degree until mm. they can figure out how to build more momentum in a safe way. Because uh, right now, uh, she seems extremely scared of getting found out, and for good reason. And that's kind of where she and Luthen seem to disagree a little bit, is Luthen puts on that personality, probably for the spies, you know, but he kind of keeps part of that personality with her as well. Um, it's maybe at this stage in time, she is a little less inclined towards more risky acts, more violent acts, less um, civilized acts, if you will. Whereas Luthen is just ready, you know, he's like, you know, Cassian is um, uh, disposable. So he's already in that realm. And I don't think Mon Mothma is yet. Well, we already know that when it comes to her and Saw Guerrero never met eye to eye when it came to that. So I, I see your definite point on this. Out of curiosity, how old is Leia at this point? Do we? What year does this take place in? Uh, I think it's five years before. Yeah, it's five years before um, A New Hope. So it's you know she's what fourteen at this point. Yeah, I I wonder if Leia is the person she's looking to bring in at this point. I can see I, that. I I could see that as uh, a. I I don't know if folks would expect it. And I think it makes a little bit more sense than Bale. Like, Bale, I feel like, is a pretty known, uh, you know, whatever, I'm blanking the word, known yeah. persona. Yeah. But, like, mm-hmm. Leia would be one that Luthen definitely might be a little skeptical of, for sure. I could see that. Could see that. And how And Leia's how this less round... risky. Right. Leia's actually less yeah. risky to bring in because, the, I mean, again, that makes sense that Mon Mothma would bring her adopted daughter to a lot of different functions and to essentially shadow her uh, into a lot of these types of meetings. So 
that would make sense. And Leia displayed in Obi-Wan, even at a very young age, incredible political aptitude. So it would make sense that Mon Mothma recognized that. Mm-hmm. Could this be and the how year that of kind Leia? Of, <laughs> and how would it, that kind of line up with Rebels, though? Because remember, she is part, and we do see her in Rebels. Yeah. So does this timeline kind of line up to her? Yeah, I, I think Rebels agree. starts five years before as well. So, yeah, be around the same time. That is interesting. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be so interesting because that would be a good way to be like, Leia could be... Bail and Mon Mothma's communication point. Yeah. Of like, oh, like she's going off to her first like internship with <laughs> one of Bail's colleagues, you know. Right. Um I feel like that makes sense, but I'm I could just be completely making stuff up. I, I like that theory. I, I really do. The the other thing that's so fascinating for me is that Mon Mothma's not even safe at home. Her own husband, Perrin Fartha. Uh, played by Alistair McKenzie, is inviting like Sly Moore and Ars Dengar over for like public Can- advisors over for dinner. You know, it's e- either he's, I don't know if he's doing it maliciously. He just doesn't, clearly he's not in on it. Right. And he's no, just, there's, there's two no. levels of maliciousness in play here. Yeah. Potential. Yeah. yeah. The first one, I agree. I don't know. Is he an Imperial sympathizer? I, I'd say probably likely, but is he like malicious against Mon Mothman trying to spy on her for the ISB? Probably not. I think he's just living uh, his life and having fun, and it happens to be. I was gonna say, is yeah. Uh, to to use a, a more aggressive term, is he an asshole though? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, Without a I doubt. I feel like if he was yeah. if he was like if he was actually legitimately a spy, this is way too overhanded of a move like she is not going to trust him at all after this um if what uh, whatever level of trust she might have had before this i'm pretty sure it's gone given Mm. how she reacted he totally Um, ignores her you know she's like what are you doing inviting my enemies over and he's like but they're fun you know like i want to have them over for my birthday like (laughs) And I think it, that I think followed it, immediately by the like, oh, you're so boring. Like, bingo. Yes, exactly. I forgot and about that. And that's why he said, I'm putting you at that part of the table, not this part of the table. Oh, wow. I, I just feel bad for Mon Mothma. Like, she can't even relax at home, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I, the whole storyline is so compelling to me. I, I love it. Uh, not to mention all the really cool Easter eggs we got in that that collectible shop like star killers armor and stone tablets with the mortis god hands and everything oh so many cool calcori anyway there's lots of cool stuff there um oh, that's super cool. but yeah uh so let's let's switch gears i think we could talk about the rebellion piece or the, the mon mothma piece all all day but let's talk for a bit about the ISB plotline. So we're introduced to the Imperial Security Bureau. Uh, our first time seeing them on screen. Stephen, I I think this is something you love. You you know How, me so well. What do you think William. seeing uh, uh, the ISB for the first time? Fantastic. It was also one of my favorite parts of this entire episode. Like everything about it. Like going from corporate security to like ISB with these like crisp white walls the kind of big conference table with all of the uh, Imperial officers 
discussing in a very calm and uh, methodical and logical fashion about what is happening um, was super cool. And it's a lot of uh, foundational in this episode. We see like the various Imperial officers, um, and I don't remember their names, unfortunately, but... Uh, there's a bunch of them. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot. But like uh, jockeying for position and kind of that, that inter-office politicking, um, it's very much you can kind of see like, oh, this is, this is how the rebellion is going to survive, is that they're as focused on this internal politics as they are on everything else. And it's just, all of it was fantastic. Yeah. Bethany? Uh, So I was, things that Star Wars makes you do. This episode made me Google uh, Nazi military and intelligence structures because I was just like, this reminds me a lot of my World War II history reading uh, and I did do some reading and there's some pretty scary lineups of like different elements of the ISB to different elements of how the Nazi SS was organized. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty darn certain it's it's not an accident. Um, and so I, I don't know, like that's fascinating to me that they're using history and that they're showing like what happens in a very fascist like government uh that has not many morals and a terrifying leader um Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to see that they put real thought into not just the organization uh of the isb but also how the different people within are jockeying for power how there's definitely like hints of um like there's a hierarchy there and that hierarchy in part seems to be based around uh, gender. We've seen it happen in the Thrawn trilogy where it's based around humans versus non-humans. And that also seems to be an echo of the Nazi culture where being a blonde, blue-eyed male would be the best thing to be. And so you're seeing hints of that within this structure as well. and so, I don't know, it was just so interesting to see how much thought went into, like, hey, these are these are bad guys, but they're not just running around cackling evilly and wielding red lightsabers and going insane. Um, they're methodical uh, in, in very scary ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, yeah. The, the one no, thing guys. I really I'm, I should have mentioned, I, I keep hoping we're going to get an Izard name drop somewhere in here. <laughs> um, I, like, ideally, it'd be a director Izard in terms of, you know, going back to speaking of Rogue Squadron, like uh, the original Imperial, like, uh, I don't even remember how to pronounce her first name. Yuzan Izard's father was the head of Imperial Intelligence at the time. Mm-hmm. Love to see that dropped in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Don't know if it will happen. Sorry, Tom, I cut you off. Please continue. No, that's okay. Now, the the thing that I loved about the scene was uh, I'm going to butcher the last name, but the guy who was leading the mi- mission uh, meeting, Major Partigas, okay, I think. Yeah, Partigas. Okay, yeah. how he basically sat there and asked the room, "What is the mission statement?" And he got basically a word for word mission statement from, and I'm going to blow her name, forget her name too, um, but a word for word mission statement, and he basically just goes, "That's wrong." And he turned it about what he turned it by way of thinking of this is healthcare. We are doctors. We are looking for the disease. We are trying to find it and we are trying to root it out. I I listened to that. And I'm like, oh my 
God, he was right. Because basically he is setting them up saying, look, we are trying to find these organized cells, which are the disease. We are trying to root them out. And I, I, I was, I was enjoyed that scene by just mm -hmm. how he broke it down and how it works and how something like this will make the empire sick and we need to go find that disease, treat it and stamp it out. Because if we don't, there's going to be problems. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Anton Lesser does a fantastic job playing Major Partigas. And you know, while there's a lot of people in this scene, including Colonel Yularen from mm -hmm. you know, Clone Wars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the two main characters really, in addition to the major, are uh, Deidre Mizo and Lieutenant Supervisor Blevin. Uh, played by Denise Gell and Ben Bailey Smith, uh, respectively. And it, it, this whole episode sets up their rivalry. Um, Deidre is a new ISB officer. Uh, she, she, she realizes, oh my gosh, this, uh, uh, yeah, the, the whole situation on Ferex has, uh, yeah, has to do with stolen Imperial items. That's my jurisdiction. She, she says she wants to, to play it, be involved, but it's within, um, Supervisor Blevins' uh, sector, and so this this creates this major rivalry between the two of them that uh, that goes on throughout the uh, throughout that that episode uh, because of that Star Path unit, and it's so cool to see them kind of fighting to climb up the ladder and um, and, and kind of jockeying for control and. But at, at the end of the let's get to the drill down that uh, Major Partigas gave to the lieutenant supervisor, didn't at the end of that, even though she had two sectors compared to the other guy that she was going after, he did kind of sit there and say, you're here for a reason where he, he kind of he kind of knocked her down a bit. But I feel at the end of it, there was a little bit of a, a um, don't waste this chance that you've got right now just take care of your two sectors he said you did great by way of you know incarcerating all these bunch of people keep up the good work but stay in your sector and leave him be because he's got six and you've got mm -hmm. to basically get out of my office yeah and it's it, it does a lot of politics right you know Blev it's, it's Blevin sector but part she has or sorry um uh Deidre she has she's realizing what's going on and she's mm -hmm. trying to use her intuition and uh they don't like that there, you know, yeah, they don't like, like the gut instinct. No gut instinct. Yeah, sorry, Stephen. You think you're gonna say something? Yeah, sorry, Stephen. I was, I was, this is, I think, what Bethany you were kind of talking about a little bit. Like, there's a really interesting, um, like Partagas very directly, you know, comments on the fact that he realizes, uh, why we just said her name and I'm already blanking Deidre. on it. <laughs> Deidre, thank you. Um, that he comments on she has more to prove. And I, I think the underlying implication is that the empire is, you know, not the most gender uh, equalitarian place to to be. And as mm -hmm. the the result of her being a woman, she has more to prove to the empire um, that she is worthy of her position. But he also comes across oddly, um, oddly as an ally in the sense of he he kno knows that's unfair. He recognizes the good work that mm -hmm. she has done and that there's room for her to like. No, like there should be a place for someone with your skills here. It's terrible that the empire as a whole has made it so that this isn't as easy for you to do. Your career is going to be harder. 
but you will have an amazing career if you continue doing good work and so on. Um, it's a very weird like uh, moment where on the one hand, you're very much seeing the inequality of the empire at play, but also like Partagas kind of seems like not a terrible person. Like, yeah, he's making a call that's against Deirdre, but he's he seems to be doing it for maybe the right reasons. I, I don't know. It's a very... I, there's a lot of nuance happening and a lot of politics at play, and it's just, it is just fascinating to see how it is developing. Well, he's also... He's borderline treating her if if you want to play devil's advocate and say he's he's an imperial and there's a reason he's an imperial, um, meaning that he's not a nice person who favors equality. I think he recognizes that she has the makings of an incredibly talented officer and an incredibly loyal officer. And if he can basically sort of groom that talent and that loyalty to him that he will benefit from it. He is essentially um, uh, basically like grooming her as an asset uh, for his military political gain, if that makes sense, because he sees that basically she does have a lot of intellect and a lot of loyalty. And if he can get that on his side, he'll benefit from it. That was kind of what I took away from it anyway. Mm. Yeah, it's just, it's layers on layers. And I think it's my favorite part. One of my favorite parts of this episode is just watching them build up this kind of thing. Um, this is one of the things my wife and I have been talking about as we were watching uh, Obi-Wan and like through Mandalorian and book Boba Fett is I think one of the weaknesses of some of the Star Wars shows we've had thus far is they're all single viewpoint stories and they're very, very straightforward. Um I'm loving that Andor is going out of its way to provide, you know, a story between Luthen and Mon Mothma, a story in the ISB, a story with Andor and this kind of rebel cell and having characters moving between them. Um, and even within each of those stories, there is depth and uh, tension between characters. And it's it's one of those things where, like, in a lot of ways, this is, this is, like I said at the beginning, this is a foundational episode where not a lot really happens. But it's fascinating to watch because there are all these different layers being laid down, all these different conversations. The dialogue is... Uh, incredibly on point, especially compared to some of the stuff we've had in the past. Like it just, it's all kind of hitting on the right note. So even an episode that is in some ways foundational does an amazing job at like holding you in your seat for the, you know, 40 minutes or so that it takes. Yeah. And, and looking in high, at the, the, the first three episodes in hindsight, I miss all these other plot points. I miss the ISP plot points of the, the, the rebellion stuff, you know, like with Mon Mothma, uh, as great as those episodes are, you know, uh, it, it feels like the show's really starting to hit its stride in this episode, even though it's a effectively almost a second pilot in, in some ways. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I, I loved the whole dynamic. And of course we get more of our favorite character, um, uh, Cyril Karn as well. (laughs) And he gets a dressing down from uh, Supervisor Blevin. <laughs> it wasn't that that was the thing that I enjoyed the most because it wasn't just him. It was basically him. Uh-huh. It was the other two guys with him. And Stephen, when you were saying dialogue on point, that whole scene during the drill down was just so fascinating to watch because what what again, the the gentleman who has the six sectors is drilling drilling them down and just saying 
you're we're taking your comm links. We're doing this. We're doing this. We're doing this. And just it, it's like you're seeing these three guys in front of you being stripped of everything slowly. And you're just feeling the worst for them. And then you get the guy in the center go, well, what have I done? I haven't done anything. <laughs> and to get a drill down just because because you didn't do anything, it was your ineptitude. Yeah. That is that that brought you into the middle of this because because of all this now the imperial the imperials are going to be taking over this sector it's completely out of your jurisdiction now we're going to come and take over this and then the guy on the end to raise his hand it was <laughs> like so good. It, 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 it was so good all you wanted to hear was instead of the way he got drilled out I expected this okay really <laughs> I would have even I would have laughed at that it was. All that was beautiful. And then the other thing I loved, that desk. Remember in the last episode where Krill said, I want a desk right here, because Garn, where he said, I want a desk right here because this is where I'm going to run this whole investigation. And they open with that desk, everything on top of it just being taken off of the desk and put into a bag, basically as evidence. So poetic. That, that <laughs> whole scene, the whole drill down was just led to one of my favorite scenes of the whole episode but i want to get your guys's take on all this before i get to that part oh i i agree i thought it was a fantastic scene it's it's so interesting to see now like Primor is being stripped of all of their authority and it's it's now under imperial control and so yeah i'm i'm very curious to see where this goes initially i thought maybe this might be the end of Cyril Karn's story. Uh, but as we see, he goes to visit his mom and something, something happened. I, I mean, she, she, we see that she's not happy with him. She slaps him and, and then gives him a hug. Um, and, and that's kind of it. That's it, all we get. We don't get any more. So it gives us a little bit of a tease. And you, and you spoil it, William, because that actually, oh, that was the thing. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was as, okay. As bizarre as it is, I'm going to admit this. That was the one thing I did not expect to see within the Star Wars universe to where a guy basically goes back to his. And it, did you see how hard it was for him to say mother and then get slapped and then to get hugged and then to have her sit there and basically, what are you looking at? And bring the I, I That was so. I thought it was hilarious to see something like that within the Star Wars universe. Oh, yeah. I in enjoyed that scene because it was a walk of shame he's sitting here realizing that basically his career is over and he has to go back to his mother so great oh i it was brilliant i i'll 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 end it yeah i i think that william and well all of you guys are right in that his story I really do think it's going to continue and that he has a level of shame and hatred and passion for what he did that what has happened is not going to stop him. Yeah. Yes. And I, I cannot wait to see what happens next because now that he's no longer in a position of authority. Will we see him end up? In the rebellion, eventually, he 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 wants, or or is he going to be a, a act on his own? Is he going to join the ISB? I, There's so many ways they could take his story. I suspect we're going to find him uh, 
linking up with Deirdre as her, like her window into the investigation and trying to track down Andor and so on. I, I agree with Steven because she she knows that this part is missing. She knows it was on this planet. She knows these guys want to go try and retrieve it in a way. So she's going to try and find him. I don't think he's going to go into the rebellion. I think she's going to pull him back into this somehow, some way. Bethany, did you have any anything you wanted to add? I think that that makes the most sense because if Deidre is as thorough as it seems that she is, I bet she'll find him knowing that he would be one, the most likely to know what happened and two, the most likely to talk. So and also remember he did see Cassian Andor. he knows, he knows mm-hmm. Cassian is part of all this. So he is yeah. going to be the key for Deirdre to try and to try and track everything down. So he's, his story's not done yet. The question is how are they going to get him back into the story? Yeah. I like that theory though that maybe he's gonna team up with Deidre, and um, and I'm also very curious like what he did to cause his mother to be so upset with him. Is it you know is it like just because he's he's working for Primor or did he do something? I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> well, I would imagine next episode. that a lot of a lot of um, so like a lot of what we see going on in. Uh, Russia right now as people are as news stations are interviewing people who are fleeing the draft in Russia many of them still believe everything that the Russian government is putting out like oh yeah like these territories belong to Russia there are Russian citizens in here that need Russia to come and rescue them like they believe that propaganda so if Cyril's mom believes the imperial propaganda then Cyril is a massive failure and mm. a, a like a shame to the family name potentially if if she's bought into the empire's lies and That's propaganda. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. A very good point. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, I I am very excited to see where they take all of these storylines uh, in the next episode. It's I would be happy with just a show based on like those two storylines. Uh, not that the rest of it isn't good. It is. Right. But it would work perfectly well with just those pieces yeah yeah it would it's so good uh but we know we do have actually more right there's so much that happens in this episode um we finally get more details and more information about what luthan is really doing and he brings cassian to uh the planet aldani uh i think of the three storylines this is probably my the least compelling for me so far it just uh, as far as the current story and what's what's being ta- what's happening um but we we're starting to see the early days of the rebellion and 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 you know Luthen's trying to recruit Cassian and he really doesn't want to be Cassian doesn't really want to join up yet he's still not he, he's not coming in instantly being a hero right he's just trying to fight against fight the empire and um you know, he kind of sees everyone as being the same, right? Whether it's, I love this line, how it's how the Rebel Alliance, the Separatists, the Partisans, of course, Sagarera's Partisans, um, they're all kind of fighting the Empire in many different ways. Well, they have different agendas, and, you know, we see the Separatists as the bad guys in the Clone Wars, and they're, in in some ways, no different. They're kind of like, well, not no different, but kind of like the the Rebel Alliance and, and others are just, 
their tactics just aren't as good. Um, and so, I don't know, any thoughts on this whole, uh, this this Aldani storyline? I think the fascinating thing was we get more of a backstory for Cassian. We did, supposedly, that he fought on Mimban, mm-hmm. um, and he was there for two years when he was 16. Speaking but, of, sorry, go I, I just, no, go ahead. I was hoping to get this in, but I just realized, I, I meant to look it up before the ups and I forgot. We've heard of Mimban before. It was in Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah, it's, yeah, Han is there. Yeah, Han fights on Mimben as he well. He did. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. He did. Uh, no further comment. Just I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, and I also love how he's he's kind of twisting the truth about his past too. You know, he's like, "Oh yeah, I fought on Mimben, and you know, I was one yeah. of only fifty that survived." Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but. I think that's the thing that fascinates me the most because Luthen calls him out and basically says, look, you're only there for six months and you're a cook, not a soldier. <laughs> now, how, how did Luthen know that? That's a very I, good question. I would be creeped out if I was Cassie and I would just be like, like, I didn't see you there. Like, how do you know that? That, so, that rewatching the episodes, I, Luthen has a couple of lines implying he knew ahead of time, mm-hmm. like on his way to mm-hmm. uh, the planet, that like he already knew who Cassian was, and it kind of implied he'd been watching him for a while. I I kind yeah. of expect that this is part of Luthen's like uh, research. Yeah. yeah, he just got he's gotcha. just got a network out there that's looking for potential recruits for you know yeah. his cause. No, that's right. exactly. And it. I mean, he, he even says he came. For, the star path was just a nice bonus. He came for Cassian. Mm-hmm. Um, he targeted Cassian. Now, where he got that information, uh, that's a good question. I'm sure there's so- sources somewhere in the Empire where he could look up Cassian's old records or something. Uh, I'm sure they're looking for people that fit particular profiles where that they could go recruit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, he, I, he shares so much information about you know, more about Cassian's father and, uh, and how he was, how he was killed. Um, Cassian even decides to, uh, you know, ch- go by his adoptive father's name, Clem, uh, for the mission. Yeah. It's, he, he definitely knows a lot about Cassian's backstory. It's kind of creepy, but I think also at this point, you kind of see to me the drive for Cassian because look, you know, yeah, he's telling this lie, but, you know, the realization is he was only there for six months. He was only a cook. Maybe it's now because of that, this is his drive that's making him who he is mm-hmm. at this point to move forward. And that's why he's got, you know, I, I, I maybe guilt complex. I don't know, but that's what I see with that kind of a background and, and him being called on it. Yeah, and he's still, even though he has a background where he might be more inclined to join the rebellion, he's not necessarily joining it. I mean, he's joining for the money. He's getting two hundred thousand credits uh, to work for five days on this mission to basically steal the quarterly payroll for uh, an imperial base, and and that's really why he does it. It's for the money. It's not necessarily for the cause just yet, although it will be for the cause. I'm sure. Um, also when, uh, uh, when Luthen gives him a debt down payment of the, the, the Quaidy signet, 
Um, I love the heat that they name dropped the Rakuten invaders from Kotar. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, throwing it back. Love it. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those moments where I'm like, great. Forget the rest of the show. Can we just like, tell me this story, please. I want to hear this story. <laughs> so yeah. that does mean I have to start playing Kotar. Oh, it's so good, Tom. I know. You got to play it. It, it. it you is You got to play it. Yep. I'll get it's there. It's so good. <sighs> yes. So there. we're introduced to the team. Vel Sartha, uh, Karis Nemec, uh, Arvel Skeen, Tamarin Barcona, and Sinta Kaz. And they're they're the, the team on Aldani. And he's the newcomer. They're they're all in it. They're not in it for the money. They're they're rebels, you know. Uh, but unlike them, Cassian's getting paid. He's kind of more of a mercenary in some ways. He's a uh, gun for hire, which of course Vel is not happy about. Uh, this is a really interesting dynamic as well. I this was probably my least favorite part of the episode, and it is purely because. You just listed off a bunch of names. Even like having watched the episode twice, having you literally just read them off, having the names on a piece of paper in front of me, I do not remember any of them. Yeah, yeah. Like Vel, I remember because like we spent a fair decent amount of time with her, but like it, we basically have a group of rebels led by Vel. They're devoted to the cause. They aren't a fan of Cassian because they're all believers, and Cassian isn't. Period. Like I we don't spend enough time with them to really get a good feel for each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to see how long we're going to end up being with this group of people. Like my guess is the next episode will involve the kind of heist that's being planned. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they will be around beyond that. I suspect it might be two or three up three or three or four episodes maybe for the heist total. Um, and then, yeah, they, I don't know. Yeah. Do, do they play a large role in the series? It's, not clear but yeah, it's just a lot of exposition and mm-hmm. a lot of kind of walking around the the aldani countryside yeah yeah, yeah that, i think that's... It, it could go it could go either way in terms of their roles because this could be just an introduction of like you get impressions of each mm-hmm. character but you're not really going to remember their names the average viewer is definitely not going to remember their names um but as the weeks go on, we might get to know each of them a bit more. So it depends on what they're going for with the storytelling is maybe they are more temporary characters and the goal is not really to remember their names, but just to kind of remember the impression that like Cinta kind of cares because she like takes care of his wounds. Um, Like we get, we get impressions from each of them, but I got the feeling that they were just kind of, like, hey, we're going to throw this at the audience to introduce them, and then we'll dive into it more later. With the exception of Vel, whose story is more mm-hmm. uh, developed. I wonder how many of them might die in the next couple I, episodes. Too. I was actually <laughs> saying, the yeah, it's, that's going to be interesting. I mean, yeah. keep in mind where Cassian needs to get to as well. Like, when, when we see him Rogue One, he is very much an uncaring rebel mm-hmm. operative mm-hmm. um he seems to care about the broader mission but like as far as individuals go he has very little attachment well yeah uh, i mean he even said not, it himself yeah and that's not the casting we have here like i think he still has friends that he cares about like this new crew he's not maybe not a big fan of but i don't think he would actively shoot one of them if they were endangering the mission at this point mm-hmm. um 
And I, in a lot of ways, like we, I just started rewatching Rogue One. Like I think that's going to be what this this show is going to be about. Is uh, what am I saying? Andor starts with Cassian shooting uh, an officer because he feels he has no choice. Mm. He's worried about you know being captured and so on. Um, and he is and, torn up about that decision. Yep. Yeah, he was. And it and it bothers at me exactly. And the Cassian of Rogue One shoots an ally without even a second thought. And that that's where he is at the start of the movie, at least. And I think that, like, I'm expecting most of these rebels to die. Mm-hmm. Um, the one kid with the hat that's actually the one being nice to him, Gary. First one. <laughs> First one. Like, Red shirt. <laughs> Done. Y'all are so mean. I'm, no, I agree with Steven. Accurate. It, it, it's, it, he, he's too eager. He's too smart. Okay. I, and it, nothing against it. I mean, it's just, it's the trope. Yeah. That's there. Yeah. And it, I think this is all going to fuel in Cassian a uh, a hatred of the Empire for killing his team, for him watching all the terrible things that they're doing to people. But at, at the same time, it's going to breed a um, dissociation from all of the people around him. Mm-hmm. And we see that a little bit with Luthen as well. Like Luthen exhibits many of those same qualities of he is only what he needs to be in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I. Yeah, this the entire arc on Aldani, I think, is it's a lot of setup at this point. Uh, I, it definitely was the weakest part of the episode. Like, I think it's no. it's not a surprise that this is the, it's part of the episode we're going to talk about the least and we're talking about it last. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I I've watched uh, the, this scene is a lot of new faces who they kind of very quickly breeze by with the exception of Val, right? Um, like when they're doing the intros, it's like they just name their, they, they, they list their names and get, you get quick shots of them. You get, don't get a ton of time with them. Uh, so maybe we'll get to know them over the course of the series, but as it is, it's really hard to remember who's who right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of exposition about the history of Aldani and the, they, they kind of describe the whole plan uh, to attack the, um, the the Imperial base. And I'll be honest, I've watched the episode three times and I still can't really tell you without looking at the notes what the plan is, except they're going to hit this base, steal some stuff and fly off on a ship. And there's this once every three year event uh, that will help cover in some way. It's, it's kind of like, let's say a dirty dozen uh, or guns yeah. and Navarone episode or we're Eagles dare type thing. You know, but I also those, think it's, those it's three intentional. Have had a plot. Go ahead. Sorry. I, th- I, th- I think it's intentional because clearly the whole team has been planning this for months on end and they're trying to get Cassian to d- like download it all into his brain in mm. a couple of days. And they're highly and, and, skeptical and they of his ability first, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted to eat first, though, because he did ask. That's a good point, Bethany. It really puts the viewer in Cassian's shoes. And. And how, like, I'm sure he's also just like, what? There's so much happening right now. I, you know, uh, and so he probably feels like, like we do being told, hey, memorize all this by morning. And so, yeah, I guess I, I feel like the Aldani mission is the first, it, it, it's kind of his first mission with the rebels, but I think it's going to be a brief thing and we'll go on to bigger and better missions and storylines and stuff i don't know i hope it picks up though i think i think with a lot of the exhibition out of the way the you know the storyline next week could be really cool i totally agree 
I don't know. Any, any other thoughts on the episode? I, I, we, we covered most of the big stuff. I, yeah, I, think, I we, think we did good. Yeah. I think so. I think it's time for ratings. I think yeah. it is. Yeah. Well, Steven, you want to, you want to go first? I, you would. <laughs> um, oh, this is actually really hard. I think I'm going to give this a seven and a half out of 10 Womp Rats. It is just through and through a solid episode. Um, I think its only weakness is that it is the first episode of a new arc and it is playing the foundational role. Um, it's setting up new characters, setting up the situation, setting up the events that will pay off in the next episode or the next two episodes. And I expect those episodes to do even better because all this groundwork has been laid. Um, definitely the weakest part is the kind of crew on Aldani. I kind of wish they had gone for a smaller crew mm-hmm. um, instead of having like the five or six of them that are there. If it was like Vel, two more plus Cassian, I, I, I think that might have helped a little bit. It'd make those characters stand out and make them feel a little bit more um, unique. Uh, but other than that, like it's it's a solid episode and it was enjoyable and we got to see the ISB. Um, and that's, I mean, I'm always happy with that. And if we can just keep inching towards, you know, a Rogue Squadron movie, let's say, which also features the ISB heavily, I'd be, you know, really happy with that. Um, so yeah, my seven and a half Womp Rats, well, you see, um, you know, uh, why am I blanking on his name again? Uh, part of, it starts with a par. Why am I blanking? Partagaz. Okay. Uh, so Partagaz, you know, the the Imperial supervisor at the ISB, he has a lot of different irons in the fire to make sure he's bringing the best intelligence and the best crew. Uh, we saw the human room where human discussion occurs, but he actually is the, the ISB of Womp Rats, which is like next door. It's in a different building where the real power behind the Imperial throne occurs and the, the ISB uh, sends out its womp rat minions to discuss and uh, you know track down the rebellion. <laughs> it's a great room to be in, but it's kind of short. You, you know, you got it's a little tough, but it's okay. Uh, Tom, you want to go next? Okay, uh, Stephen, I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to give it a seven point five as well. I love the episode. I I think basically it is laying a lot of groundwork for what's to come. Um, I do think they're going to try and follow because I know when it comes to the second season, they've already discussed they're going to be like three little episode arcs. I think that's how this is going to be for the first season as well. It's going to be like three little episode arcs. So basically they wrapped up the first three episodes with the beginning of this one, and then they set the groundwork for what the next three episodes are going to be. Um, I enjoyed it. So, um, and I'm also going to, because it was one of my favorite parts, my 7.5 Womp Rats. You see, when Curl, um, Carol, God, I'm going to, I blew his name again. When um, Karn uh, got off the shuttle and took his luggage to go to his mom's apartment, when she opened the door, the reason why she slapped him was because he left his 7.5 Womp Rats behind for her to take care of them while he was away. So that was basically getting back at him. So that's that's my seven point five Wombrets. Nice. Yeah. Bethany. Uh, so I'm gonna give this an eight out of ten Wombrets. And I think why I'm going a little bit higher is uh with my background in the military, there were so many things in this episode that rang true to uh military life, both on the 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 bad guys side and on the the rebellion side and so i was geeking out the whole episode that um 
the whole like you have to 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 basically like work harder as a female in a male dominated industry conversation. I've had people have that conversation with me. So that was kind of like my my take on that. For example, um watching how much the empire has just really solidified its grasp on the universe at this point. Um is chilling but it's interesting to see how they're actually going about it um and then i think my eight wamprats they actually all secretly work for luthan and they're just spies that are located everywhere at least half of them constantly watch cassian the other half just run around doing whatever luthan wants at any given point in time (laughs) oh love it uh yeah okay so i guess that was just leaves me um i i'm actually gonna give it eight womp rats out of ten as well i think the isb and um and uh like senate plot lines you know with mon mothma 9.5 out of 10 absolutely love them uh just like give me more i i i absolutely love it the uh of course i love what's going on with cassian as well and luthan but the specifics of the aldani plat, plat you know uh, plot so far it's just starting and i'm sure it'll it'll pick up speed um but it it there was just a lot of exposition and uh setup and so i, I think i think that'll that'll all pay off in in future episodes but for now uh that that's a little bit what brought it down a little bit um but yeah, overall, I still really enjoyed the episode. I'm going to give it eight Womp Rats out of ten. I'm so excited to see where they take these plots next. You know, I think episodes one and two of the show were good. Three really kicked it into high gear, and four just makes it even more exciting. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to give it eight Womp Rats out of ten. And my eight Womp Rats, um, you know, if you remember, recall, Mon Mothma threatens to return Perrin's birthday gift um because he was being such a jerk and so she went back to luthan and bought him eight womp rat statues uh they're relics and uh, they're 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 actually not worth anything luthan just has them to sell to the the people who don't know any better who comes into his store uh so yeah eight, eight womp rat statues out of ten <laughs> fun episode this was so fun bethany thank you for joining us yeah thanks for, for joining this. us bethany this was great yeah thanks for having me it was it was a lot of fun and i i really enjoy, am enjoying watching andor as well so i appreciate any opportunity to discuss it oh yeah yeah we'll have to mm-hmm. have you back on again to talk more of andor i mean there's 12 episodes this season so there's going to be a lot of uh a lot yeah. of content to review so thanks for thanks i'm for just joining. so happy that that a second season is already underway Mm-hmm. Yes, me too. It's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It is. Uh, do you want to tell people where they can uh, find you if you want to? They want to hear more from you. Yeah, so I uh, am on Twitter, but I'm pretty silent there at Bethany Blanton. Same username on Instagram as well. If you want to find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Of course, you know, uh, one of the founders of the Star Wars Report and a good friend of the show. So mm. thanks for. Thanks for joining as always. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited. We'll be back next week with our review of Andor episode five. May the force be with you.
Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.